0: Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP magazine. You're listening to a new Focal Point podcast with Angela Marafino and Chantel Sims. In order to continue evolving as a forward-thinking industry, that accepts others as they are. We need to hear more stories from diverse individuals regarding their struggles and successes throughout their careers in technology. Knowledge is power. Now more than ever.
1: Hi, I'm
2: Chantel, and I'm Angela, and
1: this is Focal Point.
2: Today we have Kim Crawley. Hi, Kim. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me on your show. Of course,
2: of course. Would you like to give us a little background for our listeners who don't already know you?
3: All right. I have been writing and researching about pretty much all areas of cybersecurity, offensive, defensive, policy, cyber attack, cyber warfare, you name it, for probably over a decade at wow. this point. I've worked for lots of different companies like AT&T and Benefi and Blackberry. And I was uh, working for Startpage this year. And uh, I can say this because it's official now, I will be running Hack the Box's new blog. Yo, I did not come <laughs> that. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. And since last year, I've started writing books. So I collaborated with well-known penetration tester Phil Wiley on the Pen Tester Blueprint. Yes, and uh, he's also an ITSP host, obviously. Oh, and uh, now I'm working on Eight Steps to Better Security: A Simple Cyber Resilience Guide for Business for the same publisher, Wiley Tech. But this time, I'm writing it alone. So this is my Solo book debut, very and exciting. So yeah, so for the next year, I'm gonna or two or three, I'm gonna focus on just writing books and hack the box basically.
1: So you're a badass. <laughs> so, Essentially, you're a badass. Yeah, <laughs> I've actually I've been following you on Twitter for some time now, and I have to say, every time I see you like something, it's always something that like makes me crack up or go yes every single time. And not many people do that. I'm just I'm just saying. So you're a badass. I just want to put that out there.
3: I live on Twitter. Sometimes I wake up at six in the morning and my phone is in my hand and I do stuff on Twitter without being fully awake. Yeah. I know the feeling. If I had a proper waterproof case, I think I would tweet in the shower more. <laughs> so. We can find you
2: one. Right? I feel that though. Same here.
3: Two things on that. I
2: always like your different shade of black post. It just, I don't. It brings me joy. I love the color black, and I can't wear it as much as I, I would like because I have a husky, um, <laughs> and then I get really stressed out because it's just hair. Um, and secondly, I know Chantel's definitely fangirling out because Chantel, aren't you a Hack the Box? What do they call them? Are they ch- Hack champions the box or
1: ambassador? Ambassador. Oh yeah, put on monthly meetups for Hack the Box. It's
3: a lot yeah. of fun. It's a small world. Yes, I'm so excited to be officially joining the Hack the Box team. They're awesome. Um, yeah, I, I only hear good things about them. So this is really great. I mean, cybersecurity is a very small community, and so many people I respect and admire have done work with Hack the Box. So it's a great phase my career.
1: Yes.
2: So I'll just I'll just go ahead and ask one of the first questions I had in mind. And this is kind of personal to me, too. And a lot of other people I've met in the industry. But um, what is your take on kind of being a creative or having, you know, the background that you do when getting into tech? Because like for me, for example, I I went to school for fine arts the first time, right? And I never got a computer science degree. uh, And here I am. But what's your take on that? I think we all Contribute a lot, but I'd like to hear what you
3: have to say. Like about an academic or credential background before entering the industry?
2: Yeah, and just like, you know, not the traditional BAS and and CS kind of route.
3: I dropped out of high school when I was 16 because... I had neurodivergencies that weren't diagnosed when I was a kid and it made Mm. school really hard. I was always fascinated with computers ever since I was really little. But I remember being told by my grade four, which is Canadian for fourth grade
1: Mm.
3: teacher, that you have to be a math genius in order to work with computers, apparently, which isn't true. I mean, there are areas of IT and computer science where you should be a math genius, like if you're working in an assembly language or if you're a cryptographer, for instance, but you have to be a computer. So you have to be a math whiz in order to work with computers is such an inaccurate statement for the most part. So my teacher thought that saying that to me would push me to improve my math. Instead of, no, it discouraged me from the idea that I could ever work with computers. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't until my mid-20s that I started pursuing IT because nothing else had worked out in my life professionally. And the people around me were like, you know, you could get some IT certifications and work as a desktop support technician. So when I was around 25, I got a CompTIA Plus and then I got network plus and a security plus. Those certs have all expired by now, but I started working in remote desktop support and I noticed that a large percentage of my tickets were malware related. I was removing malware from people's computers all the time and it made me fascinated with cybersecurity. So eventually, like years go by, my fascination with all aspects of cybersecurity, not just malware, and my natural writing ability coalesced. And I started writing about cybersecurity in my late 20s, I would say when I was like 27, 28. And now I'm 37, and I've been doing this for a decade. And all of my certs have expired at this point. I never graduated high school. But I'm in the Tribe of Hackers book, and I've done some cool stuff in my career so far. So,
1: You're a badass. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously.
2: <laughs> Seriously. I, I, we only have I, badasses I, on the show, by the way.
1: Yes, yes. Only badasses, um, but no, I love non-traditional backgrounds such as yours because they're I, they're just so I don't know they're inspirational and realistic and doesn't like put people down no matter where they are you know on their path. So I love. It.
3: I think this industry can be really intimidating because yes, schooling is expensive. Getting a computer science degree, even a bachelor's in computer science. Is very very expensive, especially in American and Canadian universities. And if you don't go the 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 college university route, if you just go the certification route, that too is very expensive. Yeah, there's our industry that costs thousands of dollars to write. It doesn't make sense. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And and like marginalized people are less likely to be able to afford the expense of all that schooling and certification. Yep. I would really like the industry to change so that it's a lot more feasible for poor people, for instance, to get credentials. For as long as credentials are a, a gatekeeper to employment, right. they shouldn't cost thousands of dollars to take. Definitely. Right. Agree.
2: I know Chantel, Chantel has some questions about your book, but I just want to state that I love the way you and Phil talk about things you can do to get into penetration testing for, as an example of just one of the many careers, but the blueprint that you actually put in the book for people is not, like, there's so many ways you can get into a job in cybersecurity, there's so many routes you can take to get into pen testing, you guys provide the perfect way to like just look at those resources and decide which ones work for the individual and i wish that there was something like that for every career in cybersecurity because it's really hard to figure out on your own
3: it is yeah i mean there's so much that people can learn about being a pen tester just by running cali and reading the documentation and exploring all the tools in it especially now that i'm working going to start working full-time for mm-hmm. hack the box i'd really like more people to feel like they can try capture the flag competitions, because I think a lot of people, especially when they're not white men, think that looks like fun, but people are I'm going to be humiliated when I don't do very well, and I don't understand any of this computer networking stuff. So we really want to encourage people that any, you know, CTF experience is good. If you make mistakes in the CTF, that's fine, because it's the only way that you're going to learn. And it makes me so happy when I hear people getting hired from CTFs. Yes. So that's like, if you want, want to be in the, the offensive side, that is one of the best ways to do it. And I've never heard of an organization charging a fee to participate in the CTF. Right. Agreed. And you can, stay,
2: you can stay anonymous. No one has to know it. it's you, even if you come in last. And most of the time, people will sign up and not actually participate. So there's tons of scores of zero. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All you All will same. be the only one in last, and no one will even have to know it's you. Right. Oh, I
1: love CTFs. So I'm really curious about your background from a sociological perspective. Uh, So I read that you actually do view security in some ways from a sociological and psychological lens. So I'm really curious about like what your opinion is of how red teams are built. And when I say that, I'm saying more like hiring practices and biases that exist within those practices, just like what's your opinion of how they're built based on that lens you have?
3: I'm really happy to talk about this because the book that I'm working on now that will be published later this year, Eight Steps, has a whole chapter devoted to hiring a security team,
0: just Mm -hmm. in general,
3: not just like red team, blue team, but in general, how to hire a security team. And I really emphasize that you can consider certifications, but you should be open-minded about people who don't have any. My opinion is, like, certifications are a necessary evil. If you're trying to enter the industry, especially if you're a minority, you should pursue certifications if you can. But on the other end, the, the HR end, you should consider people without certifications because it's just that big of a barrier i also talk about how certain concepts like culture fit and stuff like that it just leads to teams with like too many white men basically and there's a lot of stuff in silicon valley culture that really grosses me out and a lot of it is stuff like that yeah so I emphasize that, you know, try to hire a diverse team, try to hire a team from a wide range of ages, too. Like hire 18-year-old kids and hire 60-year-olds who have been in the industry for decades and might not be getting job offers because of ages and from the other end.
1: I never thought about it like that, but that's a really good point, actually. That would really just strengthen like a red team even more. I'm, I'm just thinking from a red team perspective because that's what I'm most interested in myself. But yeah, I never thought about like having an 18-year-old on a team and a 60-year-old on the team and just like bringing that together and what that could look like, the magic that can happen from that.
3: I don't like ageism on either extreme. Mm. So, there's this joke that goes around in our industry that what employers want is they want a 20-year-old With twenty years experience, (laughs) it's true. So So I guess you had to be birthed via. Red the kids out of high school to get you know new blood into the industry, and you should also hire older people because they can mentor the younger people.
1: Yeah, agreed. With that being said. Let's take it from a different perspective, from an AI perspective, because that's still all the rage right now. I'm not fully convinced that AI is really a thing just yet. going to be honest about that. But if we're looking at, let's say, like, AI and social engineering, uh, do you think that AI could ever truly replicate, like, differing social engineering techniques? Does that make sense?
3: Do you think we yeah.
1: can ever get to that point?
3: AI can easily replicate the kind of stuff you see in phishing kits. Oh yeah, with phishing. Like sure. Human beings design the templates for phishing campaigns.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I think AI can definitely do that. But when AI gets to a point where it's inventing its own scams, we're at that point in science fiction where the computers are taking over from humanity. At that point, so yeah,
1: <laughs> exactly.
2: And the scams will be so good.
3: but certainly you can plug a a bunch of like fishing kit content into AI yeah I agree with
1: that yeah definitely
2: so Kim back to I know you mentioned a little bit about like if you're a minority you should probably get the certs just because we have to do so much more just to even get recognized how do you feel about like OSCP being the end-all be-all for red teaming these days I know that's It's kind of not as much as it was maybe in the past few years, but how do you feel? I've heard people in the past say I'd rather hire someone who sat for and failed the OSCP than someone who never tried it at all.
3: I have a pretty high opinion of offensive security as an organization. And I think in the pen tester blueprint, Phil and I both agree that that's probably the most useful entry level pen testing cert you can get. My opinion is always going to be that if you can afford the expenses of studying for and writing the OSCP exam, you should do it. But on the end, that has all the power, the HR departments and the companies themselves, they need to consider candidates who don't have an OSCP with an open mind.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because I've definitely met hackers that... Don't have the OSCP and they're amazing at what they do.
3: Mm-hmm. You know, penetration testing, like anything like that, you should be able to demonstrate to the company that you have some skills in that area. Right. Insisting on certain certs is just like laziness on the company's part. Hmm. Yeah, I agree.
1: So you'll notice that there's a theme of social engineering with my questions, but it's because like when I was reading about you and just like how you view security and stuff, I just thought it was so cool. I'm, I guess this is more of like a fun question. Do you have a favorite social engineering technique?
3: Oh, wow. I think bluejacking and blue snarfing is pretty cool. I mean, that more explains the network exploit than the social engineering exploit. But just being able to send people messages through Bluetooth exploits without their interaction, it just shows you how much hard work it is to secure Bluetooth. Yes. Now, as far as like psychological techniques are concerned, in social engineering, we do put too much of an emphasis on phishing. There are some people who think that all social engineering is phishing, Mm
2: -hmm.
3: but I mean, in the book I'm working on, Eight Steps, I was talking about how Kevin McNick was able to do what he's notorious for having done, and it was purely social engineering, and it wasn't yeah. phishing. It was the old-fashioned phone up the receptionist or customer support agent and, and pretend to be someone you're not.
1: Yeah,
3: I'm really impressed. I I do a lot of uh, OSN on the dark web these days because. I'm doing some of that work for a bank on the side. And I'm really impressed with the phishing kits that are out there. Like, if you can reserve, you know, web server space and, you know, yeah. use puny code in your URL and just upload the content of these phishing kits, then you've got, you know, an fishing website, easy peasy yeah. phishing website. these days. I think I think 15 years ago they would actually have to develop the web content themselves to create a fishing site. So
1: yeah, fishing I'm I'm very paranoid when it comes to fishing. So paranoid that like I always like just hover over and just try to examine things <laughs> from there. <laughs> I rarely click links, like rare, even at work. It probably drives some people crazy, but I don't care.
3: You're probably <laughs> just like me in the uh, <laughs> You refuse to go on your bank's website unless you are directly going to their website. You're putting their URL exactly. into the web browser. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because, yeah, clicking on a link to access your online banking is, chances <laughs> are, it's going to be phishing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
2: I love phishing because it's like the one thing I can explain to my friends when they're like, what do you do? I'm like, you know how you get emails sometimes? And and then I explain the whole thing and they're like, should I never click an email from you again? And I'm like, maybe. (laughs) And they get all paranoid.
3: For big corporations like banks and online services like Netflix and stuff like that, there's never a reason to click on a link in an email. Government agencies even, like if you're filing, filing your taxes with the IRS if you have some sort of problem mm-hmm. with the IRS or something like that, there is always a way to make sure that you're going to their authentic website rather than clicking on a link in an email. Mm-hmm. And if there's some issue that you have with the IRS, you're never gonna be penalized for not visiting their website. <laughs> you know? The always a way that you can phone the government agency and figure out what's going on. Right. But you know, uh, cyber criminals they exploit that. They're like, you're in trouble with the IRS and you got to click on this link now. Oh, and you got to send them Bitcoin in (laughs) order to pick up your unpaid taxes.
1: It's always
3: (laughs) obvious, right?
1: I'm always more fascinated with the techniques that involve like more subtle hints of things, not urgent um messages being sent and give me all your money put in all your contact info here like stuff like that is super obvious to me but i like things that sort of go outside the box you know not to say to any listeners that you need to be sending me phishing emails please don't but (laughs) i'm very careful about that but no i'm very fascinated just with the psychology piece with social engineering it's just so fascinating Kim,
2: you mentioned a little bit earlier about not completing high school, which, by the way, some of my favorite people in cybersecurity never graduated from high school and it didn't matter for their careers at all. So like, heck yeah. Secondly, you mentioned that you had some neurodivergencies that you had to manage during that time. Can you talk about those a little bit? And also to start, can you define neurodivergence and neurodivergent, the difference for our listeners?
3: I can talk about it quite openly because I've been out of the closet as a neurodivergent person for at least the past couple of years now. I'm autistic and I have ADHD and I didn't get an official diagnosis for that until a couple of years ago when I paid for a private psychologist to run a whole bunch of tests on me. But it's something that has been suspected ever since I was a little girl. And I always just barely missed diagnosis because of my father's ableism. He didn't want to think that his brilliant little girl was disabled for a lot of different reasons. Because of my gender, because I was a child in the 80s and the 90s and women and uh, female presenting children just did not get those diagnoses that often because Mm of a lot of sexism. Yeah. And yeah, I mean and then ever since I've been very vocal about my autism diagnosis and my ADHD diagnosis, I was surprised by how many people in our industry are also autistic. I know some pretty well-known people in our industry who confided into me with me privately that they're autistic but they'd rather keep that private because of ableism. Right. So, and I will totally like protect that because there is a lot of ableism. I've decided to take a risk by coming out like that. and Writing about it on at and blog doesn't get any more public than that.
1: It really doesn't. <laughs> <For sure. laughs>
3: That's
1: badass status, again.
3: And then there are other people in the industry who are out of the closet about being autistic or having ADHD. So neurodivergencies are any sort of condition or disability that makes your brain different from the default norm. So autism, ADHD, dyslexia, dyspraxia, mental health conditions, those are all ways that someone can be neurodivergent.
1: Hmm. Thanks for clarifying that. Like I, I, I've i always known like a little piece of it, but not really all of it. So yeah, thank you for clarifying that.
3: It seemed like coming out as autistic in our industry was kind of like coming out as gay in the fashion industry. <laughs> I can imagine a fashion photographer in the 80s being like, you know what, I'm gay. And then all of a sudden, half of all fashion photographers are like, yeah, we're gay too. Sure. <laughs> and, that's, and that's where autism in cybersecurity and in tech in general is at right now. I'm sure there are lots of us who are neurotypical, which is the opposite of neurodivergent, Mm -hmm. but it's definitely a lot more common with people in our industry than in the general population.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I've definitely, um, I I feel like I know more people that are neurodivergent through InfoSec instead of outside of InfoSec, yeah.
2: Proud adhd are here. And one of the things I definitely wanted to ask you, Kim, is like, how do you manage it? I know you have like a, a different role than myself and Chantel as far as like your work, uh, your daily work. Because we don't, we aren't freelance journalists, <laughs> unfortunately. I guess it sounds amazing, but it's tough for me definitely to concentrate. And I think one of the reasons why cybersecurity has helped that is it changes every day, so it keeps my attention because I'm like, this is cool, and I'm. Lo- learning something, whereas every other job I had before getting into cybersecurity, I would get bored really easily. And then it was just like, so how do you manage, like, any any struggles you might
3: have? I've been working from home completely on my own for at least the past few years now, even before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I find that as a writer and a researcher, there are times during the week, and this is a totally an ADHD thing, so you can probably relate, Angela. There are times when... The ideas are just gushing out of my brain, and I know that I'm in a very productive mood. And so, especially with my book writing, if I Mm -hmm. wake up in the morning, I'm in one of those really productive moods, I will get right to putting all that content into the book that I'm working on. Um, And then there are times when I wake up in the morning and I just don't want to get out of bed, and I think that's our executive dysfunction. If you work a so-called normal nine-to-five job, you don't have the option of not getting out of the bed that morning. You can't. Mm -hmm. You can't call into your boss and say, "I'm not. I'm having an executive dysfunction day. I'm not feeling very productive." Yeah. You can't, especially like a minimum wage job. You'd be fired instantly. I have been super lucky to stumble into a career where, if there's a day in the week that I just don't feel like working, I can take the day off and there are no negative consequences from doing Mm -hmm. that. One thing that we talk about in the autism community is people who are autistic, they're a lot more likely to be poor and they're a lot more likely to struggle in the job market. Mm -hmm. And, Unfortunately, you know, the easier to get jobs are the easier to lose jobs in their food service and retail. And they're also the jobs that are generally the least suited to autistic people because of the social demands. Right. And those are very, very hard jobs, by the way. And I never lasted in any of those jobs, retail, food service, I was always very quickly hired. But to get a job where, you know, you'd be okay if you took a day off, if you didn't feel like working, are the better-paying jobs. And they're the jobs that typically require a bachelor's degree or a master's degree or a PhD even. Mm-hmm. And then for those kind of credentials, there's a financial barrier. Right. And yeah. also, it's very even, – even if, let's say, the autistic or ADHD student has a rich family and they can pay for all their university education. It's still a struggle because the demands of, the academic demands of getting into a computer science program, for instance, could also not be very neurodivergent friendly. So I, you know, you and I, and we're just super lucky that we managed to stumble into careers that are compatible with being neurodivergent.
2: No joke. Yeah. There are definitely days where I'm like, I can't today. (laughs) At least for like the first half of the day. Right. Yeah. And then I stay up like by, I don't know, five, four or 5. PM. I'm like, I'm going to get so much done now. And I like keep working and I'm working and I'm working really late. And Chantel's already in bed because it's past (laughs) nine. And, I can't <laughs> <help it>. <laughs> <laughs> and you know I could work all night and then I know I'm like crap like I just stayed up all night but also it was the only time that I'm in a rhythm and I can't like I can't switch it on with coffee or anything else like if some days it's just not working it's not working and the same thing goes with like I have to take breaks sometimes I won't stop thinking about like cleaning something now that we're at home, which I have been for a while as well, but I won't stop thinking about cleaning something until I do it. So I'll just go do it. And so it, <laughs> it helps me like break up the time instead of like the, what is it, The Pomodoro timers. Uh, okay. I have like, I have like a a cleaning, I, I clean and then I come back and then I do something else productive. And then I come back like, I'm not, it's not that I'm not productive. It's just that like one thing for a really long time is tough.
3: Yeah, I, I guess I, because you probably have executive dysfunction as well. It's You have your super-duper productive times and you have your super-duper non-productive times. And unfortunately, you know, in the service sector and food service and retail, there's no understanding. There's no way to accommodate. These are These are the good times for me to work. And these are the times where I'm not going to be able to work very well. Yeah. There's no tolerance for any of that. So in yeah.
2: talking about that and some of those jobs and some of the bias that comes along with, uh, you know, getting hired in, in more than entry level roles. Do you think that some of that's going to change now that things are moving to be more virtual and there'll be more opportunity?
3: I certainly hope so. I've, as I've mentioned in the, in the book, the book I'm working on, not in the Pencestral Blueprint, I strongly believe that any job that can be done remotely, an employer should allow it to be a remote job. Mm -hmm. I think there are a lot of companies that are talking about bringing people back into the office. And a lot of these people who write about that stuff, you know, in publications like Fast Company and Forbes and places like that, you find out that the person has an investment in commercial real estate. Mm. Another conflict of interest is there are a lot of employers that don't trust employees to be productive without constant monitoring.
1: Yeah, that's a big piece right there.
2: It's so amazing when you get when you've had jobs and, and like when you're younger. Right. And we talked about some of these retail food. All of those and like nobody trusts you and maybe they shouldn't when you're younger, but as you get older, it gets really old when it when they're like just don't trust you to do your job. And then one day you get treated like an adult and an actual human and you're like, Are you sure? <laughs> like, yeah. I can just like go to the bathroom without telling you, which is like crazy because like we're humans and we have to do that. Or like, you know, I got an emergency with like a family thing, I'll be back when I can and like please don't fire me. Those things to me are insane. And then once you actually get treated with respect and as a, a, an actual human, it's
1: phenomenal. That's actually something I'm still struggling with.
3: Before I started working in IT, I mainly worked in call centers before I got into IT. I worked at one inbound call center for about two years. And there was a, we were given two 10-minute breaks per day. And I remember being called into the office once because I was consistently 11 minutes on my 10 minute break.
1: One whole minute. Must
3: It's have like,
2: worked. isn't there anything else that they need to worry about? Like anything at all?
3: And now, you know, if, if sometimes I get really frustrated with my work in the middle of the day and the swimming pool in my apartment building was open before the pandemic. I would just go down and have a swim. Mm-hmm. And now that I can't use the swimming pool because it's closed because of lockdown, I'll just run like a long bath. Yeah, like I need to be in some water for an hour to clear yeah. my mind before I start working again. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Even being able to like hang out with your pets,
1: you know. <laughs>
3: Do you have any pets? I don't, but I've been thinking of adopting one because this is presumably a very like pet-friendly building. So there's nothing stopping me from adopting a great big dog. Oh. What about and, a cat too? And people I've I've considered cats as well. Cats are probably way less maintenance than a Newfoundland dog.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Oh
3: yeah. But I'm thinking about it, but I haven't acted upon it partly because of the restrictions of lockdown. Mm, I see, I see.
1: Yeah. Well, cats are awesome. I have a cat. His name is Frog. Shout out to you, Frog. Um, He's an old man who likes to cuddle. He really loves snuggles and being held, and yeah, he's an old man baby. Oh, look at this! This is soup. Oh, Jesus. <gasps> that's right. Oh. How do I how did I forget soup's name? She's about six. She loves cuddles.
2: And Chantel, isn't yours a tortoiseshell as well?
1: No. Across, oh, okay. Uh, tabby. Okay. Yeah, tabby. Yeah. Yeah, cats the are really tabby. easy.
2: Yeah. They like to eat. They eat a lot. They're very lot. chill.
1: So maybe don't get a tabby. He might eat you out of house and home. <laughs>
2: Well, she she gets chased by two dogs constantly, so she's, like, pretty in shape because of that, but also probably stressed (laughs) out. I love her so much. I don't know how she's like, manages to deal with us. She's like, fine, I guess I love you, but Mm -hmm. anyway. (laughs) Kim, you ran disinfoSec last year. Can you talk a little bit about that, and will there be
3: another one? Yes, there will definitely be another one. I don't know when yet, but the first one was in July, so it'll probably be July of this year. I learned a lot from hosting that first event. I learned about how complicated video streaming is. I had no experience with video streaming software at that point.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And I was I was largely inspired by Leslie Carhart's Pancakes Con. Actually, I'm going to be completely honest with you, when she did the first one, I tried to get in as a spectator, and there were a limited number of slots, and I had signed up too late—not to present, but to attend. Uh huh. And I was—I was so disappointed, and because like Leslie's really cool, she had like a lot of really cool speakers too, and I think that partly kind of inspired this info set. And uh, she had a really cool Pancakes Con event this year. So, yeah, so she's definitely influenced me. I definitely look up to her. But I thought if I'm going to have my own event, it needs to have something that differentiates it from the other mm-hmm. events. Mm. I thought, you know, how about one that focuses on disabled people? Oh. So that's what Disinfosec means. It's a portmanteau of disabled and InfoSec, but because, because it also came about in the pandemic, I thought I would do a play on words and it also kind of sounds like disinfect. <laughs>
1: I like, and disinformation too.
3: And we had some really great talks. We had like Tanya Janka, who I have no idea how she's able to write books and run We hack Circle. And do 40 different talks a year, but <laughs> she it somehow. Yeah. So she was probably one of the most engaging speakers that we had last year. We also had a lot of other great speakers. I accepted every single C- CFP I got. Amazing. So you don't have to have credentials or specific experience in cybersecurity. You could be a total noob, as long as you have something to say about mm-hmm. cybersecurity. So I'm probably gonna open a CFP again, probably in May. I'm gonna have to figure out how to fit in all the work that's involved with running the event with my new Hack the Box job. Did you do it yourself
2: last time? Just you? Yes. That's wild. What? That's absolutely. Wait, you t- <laughs>
1: by yourself? Nobody yes. else.
3: The website, the video streaming, the filtering CFPs. What? Do you want help this year? Because we could definitely put a call out for people to help. <laughs> I'm honestly, I'm starting to make a lot more money now. I would be willing to pay people out of my own okay. pocket. You heard it this, here first. Rather than awesome. be a unpaid volunteer. You heard okay. it, people. I'm, I, it's very important also for a video streaming event that focuses on disabled people to be as accessible as possible. Mm-hmm. So I figured out how to do, you know, live subtitles. Amazing. Oh, yeah.
1: That's one that's actually overlooked a lot. It, it bothers me sometimes, even though, like, I'm a hearing person. Like, <laughs> I get bothered when I don't see an, a subtitle option.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, it's it every online video things should have subtitles it should and uh, you know platforms like youtube and twitch need to make live subtitling more easier to implement
2: yeah and what about having like a person that does sign language at the same time i'm lucky because i work at microsoft and every thing is like super like ready for everybody right so they have someone signing like at most events and and things like that and I I like probably take it for granted because I'm so used to it by now and then I forget and I, I go to regular conferences I'm like where's the person oh right it's like that it's a thing that costs money but I think that that's such a cool thing that they do just being more inclusive so yeah anything is definitely better than what's been available for the past few years right it's like I want everybody to think about it more frequently and I know you do too.
3: I think that's really cool that Microsoft is so focused on accessibility. We need need more companies that are welcoming and accessible. Couldn't agree more. So so yeah, I mean, I I could do with maybe one volunteer who has a lot more experience with video streaming. Okay. So I'd be I'd be willing to pay them a few hundred bucks for a few hours work. All right, people like attending is free. Right. So this is me putting my own money into a passion project because I believe that people should be paid for their work if it's possible.
1: Mm.
2: That's amazing. I can't I still like I can't believe you did it yourself.
3: <laughs> it was Considering that I'm not a pro when it comes to that stuff, it was very frustrating to figure out. So if I had someone working with me, then yeah. it probably there probably wouldn't have been the technological hangups that there were in the last event. So, yeah, if anyone is interested in that position, I've been maintaining the website at disinfosec.tech. I'm going to refresh the web content in time for the new round of CFPs in, in May, probably. And I will make it clear on the site that you know if you if you have experience with you know OBS Studio, for instance, because that's what I used last time. Then I'll I'll provide a web form for that.
2: And just to be clear, do you want talks um, a that are about disability and tech, or do you want talks from people with disabilities, or does it not matter at all? How do you How do you work that in?
3: Talking about cybersecurity, so the okay. the talks are. It could be anything, even remotely cybersecurity related. Awesome, and you don't need a medical diagnosis to uh, be accepted as a speaker. We work on self identification as being disabled. Mm, so, yeah. Plus, I mean, imagine how intrusive it would be for me to be like, uh, show me your doctor's note before I allow <laughs> you to do it
1: here. No. That would be weird. Yeah. <laughs> Make a lot of people uncomfortable, probably.
3: Yeah. So, self identification as disabled is perfectly fine.
1: Amazing. Love it.
2: You talked a little bit about the book that's coming up, but what really motivated you to write that one specifically? I know with the Pentester Blueprint, right? Phil was like, I need extra help. <laughs> Can you help me knock this out? And you made that happen, which is awesome. What was your motivation behind the new one?
3: I talked with my publisher at Wiley after the Pentester Blueprint was published. And I made it very clear, Jim Minatel runs Wiley Tech. He's the publisher and I made it very clear to him that I really enjoyed working on the Pentester Blueprint and I'm eager to work on something on my own now. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the most natural way to proceed from there is if I'm working on my own, what is the most appropriate thing for me to write about? Where, what do I have the most knowledge and experience in? And I gave Jim Minatel three pitches And two of the pitches, he said, those are great ideas, but I don't think they're going to sell very well. Mm -hmm. But that one idea that you have, which breaks down all the basics that a business needs to know in order to be prepared for cyber threats, that is a very marketable idea. And there is a void in the market for a book that introduces that topic. Mm -hmm. That's true. So when he accepted that pitch, I signed a book deal within a couple of weeks.
1: Amazing. Just, listen to that. Awesome I signed a
3: book deal. Oh, I writing research I've done for like AT&T and Sophos and Venify and whatnot. It was mainly focused on a business market. And these are the things you as a business need to be doing. Mm-hmm. So that, Perspective was really the one I was most familiar with from a Mm -hmm. writing perspective. And there are no really original ideas in my book. The main selling point is it brings the ideas and the knowledge that a business person would need to read 30 different books for. And instead, it puts all the basics in one book to get them started. Yeah. 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 I like
1: that.
2: And is that going to be an audiobook in the future?
3: I certainly hope so, because I think the audiobook deal for the Pentester Blueprint was done as soon as Wiley saw that the book sold well. Yeah. So I think as long as you know, in the first couple of months, Eight Steps to Better Security sells well, I think an audiobook would be inevitable at that point.
2: Awesome! I've never listened to more audiobooks before, like. COVID because I was just like I need something to do while I'm doing this other thing. And I like I can't just listen to the same songs. Like I can only think of so much music before I'm like I've heard this, <laughs> which obviously is kind of weird, but you know, I want to switch it up so it's like music, a book, uh, something else. So that's great. I'll definitely be listening to both of those. And then lastly, I think we have time for like one more question. I wanted to ask for someone who may have any type of neurodivergency or any type of self-diagnosed or by a doctor diagnosed uh, disability or ability, what would you suggest would be the best route for them to get into a role similar to yours? Like, what is the first thing they can do? And I've heard you talk about this in other channels, but I'll just let you answer again here.
3: Well, I mean, there's such a wide range of disabilities that it's difficult to come up with a universal answer sure. to that. I guess as far as being autistic or ADHD is concerned, I would not want to have to repeat everything that I had to do in my life to get yeah. to the position where I am professionally now. I really just had a, a like years of really good luck mm-hmm. because there are all kinds of people who are really brilliant and talented but only like 10% of them ever succeed because of how random and cruel capitalism is. Yeah, so, and part of the reason why I was able to succeed is because there were periods of times in my life where I had like a boyfriend financially supporting me. So I had like a lot of time to just, I, I had years of not making money doing what I do now. Mm-hmm. and it takes that it takes like years of work to to get noticed by anyone even mm-hmm. online i would say persistence and don't give up a lot of people might have to work a day job in order to pay their bills before a cybersecurity career works out for them for instance
2: mm-hmm.
3: so i would not want to have to go through with that but you might have to work a crummy job for thirty or forty hours a week, and then take night school, or then yeah. work on your IT certs on the side while you're working at McDonald's.
2: Mm-hmm. It's always a commitment. But
3: for years of yeah. your life you can have like no personal life. Yeah, especially <laughs> if you're a as well. So none. So whatsoever. Good, good luck to those people because. Uh, it's really, really hard to make it if you don't have help. Yeah. Agreed. But avoid the call center. Just a <laughs> call center work was the only work that I could keep for more than a week before I got into this industry. So Yeah,
2: that's tough. Cool. Any last parting words you'd like to leave us with?
3: I'm really honored to be on your show, Chantelle and Angela, and I just think the ITSP network is so cool. we have got some of the best cybersecurity programming anywhere, and I would love to be back on your show in a year or so. If anyone is interested in this info set, the website now is geared toward last year, but by mid-May, there will be a call for proposals and I will <laughs> refresh the content on the site to reflect this info set 2021. So, Excellent. i
1: yes. looking forward perfect. to it. Oh my God, yes, I really am looking forward to it. And if you are not following Kim on Twitter, please go and follow her now, okay? Do it, you won't regret it. Is it Kim underscore Crawley?
2: Is that right? Okay. Correct. Yep. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much, Kim, it's been a
1: pleasure. Yes, thank you so good. much.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Focal Point Podcast with Angela Marafino and Chantel Sims. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSBmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.